Chapter number six of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Arthur Pientadosi. Chapter six. Oliver, being goaded by the taunts of Noah, rouses into action and rather astonishes him. The month's trial over, Oliver was formerly apprenticed. It was a nice sickly season just at this time. In commercial phrase, coffins are looking up. In the course of a few weeks, Oliver acquired a, de a deal of experience. Success of Mr. Sarbury's ingenious speculation exceeded even his most sanguine hopes. The older inhabitants recollected no period at which measles had been so prevalent, or so fatal to infant existence and many were the mournful processions which Oliver ever headed in a hat-band reaching down to his knees in the indescribable admiration and emotion of all the mothers in the town as oliver accompanied his master on most of his adult expeditions too in order that he might acquire that equanimity of demeanour and full command of nerve which was essential to a finished undertaker he had many opportunities of observing the beautiful resignation and fortitude with which some strong-minded people bear their trials and loss. For instance, when Sarbury had an order for the burial of some rich old lady or gentleman, who was surrounded by a great number of nephews and nieces, who had been perfectly inconsolable during the previous illness, and whose grief had been wholly impressible even on the most public occasions, they would be as happy among themselves as need be quite cheerful and contented, conversing together with as much freedom and gaiety as if nothing whatsoever had happened to disturb them. Husbands, too, bore the wives of their wives with the most heroic calmness. Wives again put on weeds for their husbands, as if, so far from grieving in the garb of sorrow, they had made up their minds to render it as becoming and attractive as possible. It was observable, too, that ladies and gentlemen who were in the passions of anguish during the ceremony of internment recovered almost as soon as they reached home, and became quite composed after all the tea-drinking was over. All of this was very pleasant and improving to see, and Oliver beheld it with great admiration. That Oliver Twist was moved to resignation by the example of these good people, I cannot, and there I am as bargled for, undertake to affirm with any degree of confidence. But I can just distinctly say that for many months he continued meekly to submit to the dominion and ill-treatment of Noah Claypole, who used him far worse than before. Now that his jealousy was aroused at seeing the new boy promoted to the black stick and hackband, while well, he, the old one, remained stationary in the muffin cap and leathers. Charlotte treated him ill, because Noah did. Mrs. Sarbury was his decided enemy, because Mr. Sarbury was disposed to his friend. So, between these three on one side, and the glut of funerals on the other, Oliver was not altogether as comfortable as a hungry pig was, when he was shut up by mistake in the grain department of a brewery. And now I come to a very important passage in Oliver's history, for I have to record an act, slight and unimportant perhaps in appearance, but which indirectly produced a material change in all his future prospects and proceedings. One day, Oliver and Noah had descended into the kitchen at the usual dinner hour to banquet upon a small joint of mutton, a pound and a half of the worst end of a neck. When Charlotte, being called out of the way, there endured a brief interval of time, which Noah Claypole, being hungry and vicious, 
considered he could not possibly devote to a worthier pro-aggravating uh, and tantalizing Oliver Twist. Intent upon this innocent amusement, Noah put his feet on the tablecloth and pulled Oliver's hair and twitched his ears, and expressed the opinion that he was a sneak, and furthermore announced his intention of coming to see him hanged. Whenever that desirable event shall take place, he entered upon various topics of petty annoyance, like a malicious and ill-conditioned charity boy, as he was. But, making Oliver cry, Noah attempted to be more facetious still, and in his attempt did what many sometimes do to this day, when they want to be funny, got rather personal. Work us, said Noah. How's your mother? She's dead, replied Oliver. Did don't you say anything about her to me? Oliver's colour rose as he said this. He breathed quickly, and there was a curious working of the mouth and nostrils, which Mr. Claypole thought must be the immediate precursor of a violent fit of crying. Under this impression, he returned to the charge. What did she die, workers? said Noah. Of a broken heart, some of her old nurses told me, replied Oliver. I think I know what it must be to die of that. Doody roly roll all right for lorry workers, said Noah, as a cheer rolled down Oliver's cheek. What we'll set you a slivelin' no? Not you, replied Oliver, sharply. There, that's enough. Don't say anything more to me about her. You better not. Better not, named Noah. Well, better not. Workhouse, don't be impudent. Your mother, too. She was a nice one, she was. Oh, law. Oh, 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 nodded his head expansively and curled up as much of his small red nose as muscular action could collect together for the occasion. You know, workers, said Noah, emboldened by all of her silence and speaking in a jeering tone of affected pity. Of all the tones most annoying. You know, workers, it can't be helped, no. But of course you couldn't help it then, and I am very sorry for it. And I'm sure we all are, and pity her very much. But you must know, workers, your mother was a regular right down bad un. What did you say? inquired Oliver, looking up very quickly. A regular right down bad un, workers replied Noah, coolly. And it's a great deal better, workers, that she died when she did, or else she'd have been hard labouring at Bridewell, or transported, or hung, which is more likely than either, isn't it? Crimson with fury, Oliver started up, overthrew the chair and table, seized Noah by the throat, shook him in the violence of his rage till his teeth chattered in his head, and collected his whole force with one heavy blow felled him to the ground. A minute ago, the boy looked the quiet child, merely a dejected creature that harsh treatment had made him, but his spirit was roused at last. The cruel insult to his dead mother had set his blood on fire. His breast heaved, his attitude was erect, his eye bright and vivid. His whole person changed as he stood glaring over the cowardly tormentor who now lay crouching at his feet and fighting with an energy he had never known before. Oh, murder me! 
blah blah no. Charlotte! Mrs! Here's a new boy murdering me! Help! Help! Oliver's gone mad! Charlotte! No shouts were responded to by a loud scream from Charlotte and a louder one from Mrs. Sowerberry, the former of whom rushed into the kitchen by a side door. Well, the later paused on the staircase, still she was quite certain it was consistent with the preservation of human life to come further down. Oh, you little wretch! beamed Charlotte, seizing Oliver with an utmost force, which was about equal to that of a moderately strong man, in particularly good training. Oh, you little ungrateful, murderous, horrid villain! And between every syllable, Charlotte gave Oliver a blow, accompanying it with a scream for the benefit of society. Charlotte's fist was by no means a little one, but lest it should be an effectual in calming Oliver's wrath, Mrs. Sowerberry plunged into the kitchen and assisted holding with one hand while she scratched his face with the other. In this favourable position of affairs, Noah rose from the ground and pummels him from behind. This was rather too violent exercise to last long. When they were all wearied out and could tear and beat no longer, they dragged Oliver, struggling and shouting, but nothing daunted, into the dust cellar, and there locked him up. This being done, Miss Sowerberry sunk into a chair and burst into tears. Bless her, she's going off, said Charlie. A glass of water, Noah, dear. Make haste. Oh, Charlotte, said Mrs. Sowerberry, speaking as well as she could through a deficiency of breath and a sufficiency of cold water, which Noah had poured over her head and shoulder. Oh, Charlotte, what a mercy we had not to have been murdered in our beds! Ah, oh, mercy indeed, ma'am, was the reply. I only hope this will teach Master not to have any more of these dreadful creatures that are born to be murderers and robbers from the very cradle. Poor Noah, he was all but killed, ma'am, when I came in. Poor fellow! said Mrs. Sowerberry, looking piteously on the charity boy. Noah, whose top waistcoat button might have been somewhat on level with the crown of Oliver's head, rubbed his eyes with the inside of his wrist while the commiseration was bestowed upon him, and performed some affecting tears and sniffs. "'What's to be done?' exclaimed Mrs. Sowerberry. "'You must just not at home. There's not a man in the house, and he'll kick that door down in ten minutes.' Oliver's vigorous plunges against that bit of timber in question <laughs> rendered this occurrence highly probable. Dear, dear, I don't know, ma'am, said Charlotte, and it be then for the police officers. Or oh, the military, suggested Mr. Laypole. No, 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 said Mrs. Sowerberry, thinking herself of Oliver's old friend. Run to Mr. Bumble there and tell him to come here directly and not to lose a minute. Never mind your cap. Make haste. You can hold a knife to that black eye which would run along. It will keep the swelling down. Noah stopped to make no reply, but started off at his fullest speed, and very much it astounded his people who were out walking to see a charity boy tearing through the streets pell-mell, with no cap on his head and a clasp knife to his eye. End of chapter 6 of Oliver Twist